Welcome back to Movie Trailer Reviews. This is Ro and I'm joined by guest critic Britt. She's a San Diego local with me and we're both covering the Sundance Film Vegetable virtually and we felt like we needed to get together to discuss the John Boyega-led 892. Let's get into it. One of the things that I really like about film festivals and why I like to talk to other critics, especially critics of color, is because it's one of the few places where you see a real broad perspective on stories that have to do with Black people. And it's it's an interesting place to find what people think is interesting about the aspects of based on a true stories they want to put into their movie. So one of the highlights of Sundance 2020's film festival, at least for me, was the announcement that the feature 892 was going to be here. Um, what did you know about 892? coming into the festival absolutely nothing (laughs) i do this yeah yeah i do this thing where as soon as the the features are announced i read the synopsis and then that's it and then i forget about it three months later even after i make my schedule i just forget about it and what that does is it allows me to really go into a film clean slated if you will and i'm very glad i did it with 892 because i got stuff to say (laughs) Okay. So the synopsis for A92 provided by Sundance is a living in a cheap motel in Atlanta and separated from his wife and child. A former U.S. Marine veteran, Brian Easley, is desperate. Driven to the brink by forces beyond his control, the soft-spoken, kind man decides to rob a bank and hold hostages with a bomb. As police, media, and family members descend on the bank and Brian, it becomes clear he's not after money. He wants to tell his story and have what is rightfully his, even if it costs him his life. Now, that says a lot and nothing all at the same time. So I Mm -hmm. applaud you on sticking to the synopsis provided. uh, (laughs) Because I didn't. I'm not going to lie. But (laughs) it's only because the name Brian easily clicked. And I and I remember hearing about what happened with Brian Easley. So I knew one, this was based at least loosely on a true story because it's based mm-hmm. on a real U.S. Marine veteran. And two, I knew right out of the gate they were going to focus on that hostage situation. Mm-hmm. So the three questions that I wrote after I put this on my schedule is. How much Brian Easley are we going to get mm-hmm. about his life and circumstances? What's going to be the driving force and push behind the narrative focus? And what's the major underlying theme that the director and writer is going to feel is the, the the one that's important enough to drive the story? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't look at anything else because that's, that's how I try to prepare for film festivals because I got problems. But uh, so <laughs> this, <laughs> this is Abby Damaris Corbin's debut feature. Um, Listen, yes, all yeses to to this beautiful feature that she put together for her first time. They mean cut you off there, but I just had to be like, give her all the glory because, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the ways that she brought this tragic story to life, but I'm just so in awe of this being a a first time uh, feature for her. I I was like, she's lying. I was like, she's lying. (laughs) (laughs) And I think for a lot of people, we don't really kind of process, like, we're both creatives in different ways, but we both come to criticism in what we do as our side gig. Like, so we have like really Mm -hmm. heavy professionally driven day jobs. I am now retired from mine. So I am a a full-time critic, not rubbing it in. 
I'm snapping to people. I'm snapping. Let's give Rose some snaps. Listen, <laughs> my budget isn't happy with my choices. <laughs> but the rest of so we gonna work out and find a balance. <laughs> but but I think sometimes because we had more of a direct trajectory in how we go into the workforce, when we hear debut, when we hear first time, for some reason we don't take into consideration everything it took to get to this person to be ready to handle this kind of thing. Right. So like right. she is the Batfa mm -hmm. uh, shortlisted film called The Suitcases that I hunted down and I watched and I was like, OK, OK. And you start to get an idea of how she kind of developed some of the techniques. Now, I will say. I liked and did not like 892. Mm. And out the gate. <laughs> I think I think everyone should watch 892. But I also think eight uh, people, black people, should side eye, eight ninety two. Yes, and I'm in, in full agreement with that. Yeah, and like she didn't write the screen. She didn't write the screen, but play by herself. Um, Kwame, mm -hmm. Kwi Amara, did I Amara? Did Amara? I destroy? I I just see. Usually it's Chris on the mic who can't say the person's <laughs> name, and I have practiced thirty times and got it down. I do not. So Kwame, um, Quay is Arma. Yeah, I think it's Quay Arma, and I deeply apologize, Kwame. We done jacked up your name three times now. Uh, he's a British actor and playwright. Uh, he's also black. So. There is there is a crossover between this very white woman and who is intellectually in touch and also you could tell that there was some personal connection, not necessarily to Brian, but to maybe the circumstance in the contemporary right. world in which it existed. And mm -hmm. so I felt like between the two of them, there was a little bit of a blend that made sense. But this movie right. stars John Boyega. Mm-hmm. Who is growing on me leaps and bounds the more he decides to open his mouth and speak now that he is not under that contract uh to Star Wars. What contract? To Star Wars, oh. where he had to behave Girl. and he couldn't tell people to, you know, kick back. Girl, back's. I don't know nothing about Star Wars. You know this. We talked about know. this. We gonna work on you. <laughs> to the day I die, we gonna work on you. <laughs> I may not be able to get you to the movies, but girl, you go watch Clone Wars with me because I'm I'm gonna fight you till it happens. I don't know, girl. <laughs> but I I think it's indicative of of the trajectory that he has for his own personal growth as an actor, and mm -hmm. I love the fact that he's a man. He is a very proud black man who will openly say, "I secure my bag. I my family is good. I am good. I can now do what I want." Uh, because right. you know that's a form of respectability politics that doesn't really kind of hit the same mm -hmm. in the American black community that it does in the larger diaspora of black communities around the world. And I love Certainly. it. So, yeah. And then also Michael Kenneth Williams, this is his swan song performance. Uh, it hurts my heart. Uh, Nicole Bahari, who people need to quit sleeping on. Please stop sleeping. The on industry needs to quit sleeping on her. She, okay, I mean, we, we saw Juneteenth at Sundance. Yes. Was the last year Year before, year before. And it was phenomenal. She is phenomenal. And once again, she is cast in a role and gives a character flavor and depth 
um, who <laughs> probably is, was cookie cutter on the page. On the uh, page, absolutely. Yeah, you have but Olivia Washington, Selena's Leva, and Connie Britton to round things mm-hmm. out. But you were going to say something about Nicole's paper character. Yeah, if we could just circle back to her, because you're right. On paper, on, in this script, this character is should be forgettable. But uh, if we could talk about that scene where, you know, things start happening, the hostage situation begins, and she is able, with one look, to just clear out the room and Listen, say, I'm a boss. I love black women. Child. Without giving Girl, anything. Listen, without giving anything away, we are going to talk around some of the specifics because again, we don't want to spoil the movie. But I think Absolutely. we can talk I think we can talk about this without spoiling. It's like I I I almost tweeted this and then I didn't. The head nod in the black community is universal and it can <laughs> so many things. Uh absolutely and I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Listen. Nicole Bahari is sitting at a desk across the room in the corner. Like, think of a traditional bank the way a Wells Fargo lobby is set up. You've got the desks out the front, and then you've got that main mm-hmm. long counter, right? And this is probably a 2018-ish Wells Fargo, so it was before they started doing some of their heightened security protocols. Yeah. Because, they, yeah. you know, bank robbery started being a thing again. They have? Yeah. Oh my God, where have I been? I think I live under a rock. But anyways. Mind your business. That's where you have been. Mind your business. True. But but like so so they, there's this moment where Nicole looks up, looks across the room, clocks what she thinks is a problem, and immediately turns her eye to the black woman at a different window behind the counter, <laughs> and simply does the nod up. And tips her head to the side. And the black woman grabs her shit. And, <laughs> and bounces. <laughs> oh, oh, man. This is why we can't be in horror movies. Because we're going to leave. And the movie will be over. Because <laughs> we're going to survive. I know that's right. That's how I know all these horror movies that fake. That be having black people die so soon. Uh-uh. That's a whole nother story. But yeah. Lord. This is just why I love... Nicole when she's in the film because she just she just does so small subtle things like that but they mean so much mm-hmm. and so my question for you regarding that is how much do you think that was from Abby's direction versus Nicole just bringing her her skills I think that's the, I think that's the game. nature of the ensemble they they put together I think um mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm going to say something that's probably going to be a little bit controversial in the sense of how people feel about um, his performance, but mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Majors was originally cast to play Brian. No way. And due to a conflict, he had to step out and John Boyega stepped oh. in. And now you know you just broke my heart in a ten, 10,000 little pieces now, didn't you? Look, I told you I knew why 892 existed, and it wasn't because of 8... Look, it's Jonathan Majors. I saw in an interview that he was talking about this role. And um, where Jonathan Majors acts from, where he pulls from, and where John Wayega acts from, and where he pulls from, they are at different development levels. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And for a movie that's about a hostage situation... I felt that John Boyega brought the right kind of energy. I do feel like there was some 
places where it was over stylized to make a point mm-hmm. that wasn't about Brian. And that's my yeah. complaint with this movie. Um, um, so where the character of Brian sat for me, I felt worked because of the ensemble that was around him more than simply just John Boyega. John Boyega started to rise up to the level of the ensemble that they gave him to work with. And so exactly. I do so I do believe that this wasn't the nature of Nicole because the way they wrote Michael Kenneth Williams' character, he plays um, the negotiator mm-hmm. who comes on site. The way I, I also believe that the way that that character was drawn on paper was paper thin and almost empty bag. And it only oh, works... Yeah because Michael Kenneth Williams was in that role. Mm-hmm. So, so, and even the other teller, uh, the Latino woman, the mm-hmm. Afro-Latino woman, like, yes. again, paper-thin character, absolutely 100% comes to life because of the actress who embodies her. She is a recognizable face and not necessarily a recognizable name and profile, but that woman's got skills. She does. And, is it Selena's? Uh-huh. She's she's a she's a hell of a character actress, and I hate to say it that way, but when you're talking about women of color in Hollywood to a certain extent, it is what it is, but people will know her from as being Gloria Mendoza from Orange is the New Black. That's gonna be mm. what clicks in your head as soon as you see her face. Because that's okay. who she was on. That's probably the most well-known thing that she's for. She's also in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, she's Cuban. I, she pops up in there, girl. I mean, I be noticing non-white people <laughs> in movies. I'm sorry, I'm like, hey, I know that face. And that's I why mean, I. That movie, I'm. I don't remember it, so it's okay. Oh, we gonna work on your fandom. We gonna work on your fandom. But you are my favorite. You I don't have a fandom. <laughs> I, that's 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 my point. We're we're gonna find you. Guys. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to prestige films, I I like I have a deep respect for like how you move, and I really we usually end up sometimes on opposite ends of the spectrum, so it's also fun. Yeah, <laughs> to find where we meet. So that's just that's that's also the joy. So when I realized that we were looking at two very strong and powerful women who were uh, who were the bookends to John Boyega's character, I feel sometimes the subtlety with which they were playing their roles made him feel like he was doing too much. Does that Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because there there are some moments where, you know, you could really tell he was trying to put his best foot forward, whether it was through the yelling uh, to get convey his message to the negotiator or any of the other sergeants that was communicating with him. But then all of a sudden there would be these laid back moments. And I don't know if he felt like that was more Brian's character in terms of dealing with his mental health and having these very up moments and these very down moments. But I could tell that there was a little bit of friction when it came to executing those emotions. And it, it seemed a little bit... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, seesawy. <laughs> That's not a word. Imbalance. <laughs> Thank you. Contrived. Imbalance. Yes, is the right. word I'm looking for. But well, I, I, I think ultimately I did like what I saw from him. Um, all in all, it's just that those moments did did seem a little imbalanced. I I, I think they were imbalanced because the story was too narrow. 
that and this is mm. where it comes in it, this is where it comes in that it's important to know that this story is about a real person i also think right. a part of the imbalance is because the people who wrote this script are observers to the american social life mm. they're not great 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 points they're not participants in the american process mm-hmm. they they so they bring a certain um, cultural set that someone who's looking at the way systems work in America, but whose systems may be just as jacked up. That is not, I'm not saying that, <laughs> but their systems are structured and work differently. So the things that strike them as maybe off mm-hmm. may not be the things that hit for an American watching it. So Mm -hmm. what they focused and stressed on was that this was a man who had been driven to the brink of homelessness by the VA. And he tried to do everything right. He tried to follow the rules. He tried to do it the Marine way and that Mm -hmm. matters. But we don't get that in this movie. They didn't give John any room to breathe. We meet him when he's already on the precipice. Right. So all of the emotional growth and character development and arc has to happen in that bank. Now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they tried and to the fill- flashbacks. Right. And that's bit. what I was going to ask you about. So they tried to fill in some of the back end with the flashbacks. Do you feel like that was adequate enough for you to remember that this is, movie is supposed to be about Brian. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with flashbacks. I do, <laughs> I I do feel that it's an easy way out to tell a story. Though I'm not, I'm not a filmmaker, so everybody can tell me shut up, and that's totally fine. That's your opinion, but I gotta say mine. I do feel like they're they're the easy way out to tell a story and to give us insight into who a person is on screen. And so when, as you said, we start out with this person who's already down and out, if you will, and ready to go in and take this hostage situation, I felt like, oh, this this movie's starting. My anxiety's through the roof. That, That might be a good thing. But then as the movie progressed and we get answers way later i felt a bit frustrated to say the least and so ultimately what i'm trying to say about flashback is in this scenario i think they could have done better with a more linear approach i feel like they should have just popped back a few days like um the opening is very compelling especially when you realize Mm -hmm. what's happening what you're seeing i think it really works but and i and this is where we have had arguments offline before about linear and nonlinear storytelling, but and and posthumous storytelling and and, mm-hmm. and unreliable narrators. I I really feel like they focus so much on what they wanted us, where they wanted to direct our attention to this story, that they lost sight of the fact that this story is moving through a man, mm-hmm. and it's it does a it does a a big huge disservice to the on the ground rooted story about what happened to this man. Yeah. And how he ended up in this bank and mm-hmm. why. 
they got yeah. so hung up on challenging and and focusing on the narrative that had to do with the systems of failure that they forgot that we needed to follow this man in order to understand. They, yes, yes. And just to take it a step forward, I think they even lost track of that too. I think they, they focused heavily on the hostage situation. Yeah, they and wanted to do it. It felt like this movie. Mm-hmm, I think that's what the. It's, taking a step back and now thinking about it from a broader perspective, I think that's what this appears to be a movie about a hostage situation. And then the other stuff is just on the side. The fact it's that stuff. he. Yeah, it's stuff. Exactly. And so. Um, Dan, you're making me take a little half star off now <laughs> of my rating. You're welcome. <laughs> but no, this, this is good because, yeah, it just... No, These I are the type of movies that get me upset because, A, the content, right? I, I very much care about veterans and the mental health that they deal with. And on top of that, the system in place is supposed to support them financially it's supposed to support them mentally and it just does a you know what type of job <laughs> i don't know y'all be cussing on here okay um, welcome to the network. <laughs> i forget i was like i i don't know if i should just drop this bomb no, but uh no, feel free to use your full vocabulary length here you ain't got to you do okay, not need to touch hey. yourself if we go too far but no girl, they, they... Uh, edit us down <laughs> Yeah, I just it just feels like all the important things were that were at the core of who Brian became to be in those final moments of feeling down and out wasn't executed properly when we needed it to. And this is where again I come to watching films from a different place. I, I fall into a different lane writer wise. And this is where I feel like sometimes you try to do too much when you try to cl- to, to clock the to, to close the room. Now, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I understand COVID probably impacted some of the things that they couldn't couldn't do, and probably slim slim down and narrowed things out. Whatever. Narratively speaking, they had everything that they needed here to give us bigger, better moments beyond the ones that we got. And I think that mm-hmm. when you think about the fact that they wanted to show rather than tell, mm-hmm. that's great, but you have to earn the buy-in so we follow mm-hmm. you. And right. This, and this is where you kind of get into the problem when you're dealing with someone who's an observer to a system who's never actually had to go through that system. Mm-hmm. And it's also what happens when the eye behind the lens is white. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Um, she not only lost sight of Brian at certain times, which then led to them losing sight of him on paper and they're what they gave John to work with. Mm-hmm. She made assumptions that she assumed the viewer would agree with based on what she wanted to show them about the hostage situation itself. Hmm. 
So what type of things. So when you're looking at the command center and you've got what looks like someone who isn't really invested in the whole process of negotiating and it looks like a militarized zone, hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. That's the perception of the bird's eye view of looking at a hostage situation that happens in America. It's almost the literal, we used consultants to figure out how we were supposed to stage this. Mm -hmm. We've only really seen this from a distance, right? You, you, they've ne clearly, clearly they've never been in a neighborhood that had to be shut down because some shit's popping off and <laughs> it's a black person who's presumed to be the problem because they had too many people who were not b white walking around outside this perimeter and not being harassed by the police, first of all. But like, but even more specifically, they made assumptions about what people would think the cops were thinking. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, we all know what that guy is like. And I'm, not, I'm specifically not saying the name of the person who's in charge of the command center because it was a delightful, yeah. delicious surprise to see his face. He is a brilliant actor. He does more with a wink and a cock of his head <laughs> and a shrug of his trifling shoulders. That white man got <laughs> skills. I love him. Uh, Bring back burn notice. But so spoiler <laughs> whatever only if they know that but i feel like they 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 had him playing a character who you can make assumptions about what's going on in their mind because they never took us inside that process mm -hmm. so it felt like they designed this situation to where everybody was already going to understand the motives of the police and mm -hmm they designed the situation to where everybody was already going to agree and understand the the relationship between the police and media and and how exactly. what and what's the connection between that and they designed this without a recognition and acknowledgement a real true recognition and acknowledgement of the power of what social media could do so because they made this bigger the story bigger than Brian. And one of the other things that they wanted to talk about was the multi-system failure. Mm -hmm. For them not to sit down and really make it look like and give us the multi-systems and then allow us to see as they fail. Mm -hmm. It put the <clears throat> pressure even more on John Boyega to make us understand all of the different things that were at play going on. So they made us watch him have to, to vomit certain things in scenes where we should have gotten a flashback or they had his access to his wife and daughter and they could have used that as an entree to see some things that were going on there for the personal scenes. yeah girl Child, when i said i rolled my eyes i don't know if i was rolling my eyes because of that or if i was just annoyed for other reasons but yeah those scenes where we, you know, uh, head over to, you know, his wife's vantage point on the situation, um, them trying to get more background information on Brian and why he would do such a thing by looking in the hotel, for example, motel, for example, those were, felt a little too small for me. And I know it's not, 
I know it's not the focus. It's not the, oh, FBI busts in on his his livelihood and try to get more information. But the, that was a missed opportunity to get more information instead of, like you said, having Boyega in a room saying, well, this, 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 in such a short period of time where we're like, wait, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. So I definitely understand what you're saying there and i i don't know i'm having a i'm having a love-hate relationship with these these side scenes and the flashbacks um i just think the the opportunity was a little missed right there well because um again for me it comes down to what was important to them about the story that they wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that people focused on and remembered and i think some of it has less to do with the journey of how people got and get where they are. And I think that's what gets lost when people want to take a based on a true story about a tragedy that has to do with a black person and they want to turn that into a driving narrative and commentary about uh you know the US structural system <laughs> like or like they want to talk about you know the, the 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 massive mess that's been made of everything. <laughs> I don't want to say but like it, it's it's like there's certain assumptions and I'm and I'm just like I'm mm-hmm. like is it an is it an age thing is it an experience thing is it a fact that um you know I've asked my friends who are from the UK to give me a better understanding about how some of the way things work over there because you know the criminal and civil system are arranged differently so like the court system mm-hmm. is different which then means what feeds into the court system is different how the police right. are empowered is different how they police like physically on the ground all of those things are different so when you look at the US system uh, like a lot of times outside of that and your experience has been that difference i like one of my friends she's from here and she now lives over there she's like girl it's weird she's like she's like and it makes you question certain things that you took as uh as a default. And I've gotten to the point where now I'm watching things that are happening in the US on the news and I've lost my on the ground ability to make a connection between how we got there. And I feel like the people, yeah. So I feel like the people who were getting the building blocks of how we got here and what they wanted us to focus on and talk about um, Mm -hmm. didn't know how to capitalize on some of the, the things that we're saying that kind of led to like their missed opportunities, I guess. Yeah. Because because I don't know how you have Michael K. Williams and Nicole Bahari in a movie and you manage to underutilize them, but they're so central to everything that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. It like so they overcalibrated on certain aspects, and that was to drive their point. And Brian got lost in that point, which then meant they hadn't properly equipped John to make sure that couldn't happen. So like in reality, if you learn what was going on with this man, um, you have to understand that there, my, my dad's 20 years veteran. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had the unpleasant experience of helping my mother have to deal with the VA until we found her somebody who had decades upon decades of experience to stand in with her as her advocate who was local. Cause wow. I was I was ready to communicate some threats. So <laughs> I stopped being useful. And like, and when you deal with the actual legitimate frustration, you have to think about things in the sense that we have the money. 
we have the systems in place. So why doesn't this work? Right? He was a Marine. He served, he deployed, he came home, he was injured. Why weren't there certain presumptions made on his behalf? And you get into that question. Right. Mm -hmm. And we needed to know those things because we needed to have people think it's enough to say it failed. Well, he was Mm -hmm. dealing with the VA. You know what that means. No, because for many years and many veterans I know they don't have a combative relationship with the VA. One of the things I've come to realize is because they've always had an an aggressively informed and involved advocate. So, you know, so when you're doing it on your own, you also have to remember, it depends on who's the person in the seat, right? Are they engaged? Right, right. We didn't get enough scenes at the VA, especially considering- Especially considering they do a wraparound with one of the media personalities and somebody from the outside Mm -hmm. world that has to do with his life. So because they started us without us knowing, and I know I called her his wife, but um, they were actually no longer together. So his ex. Ah, that's right. Ex-wife. Yeah. Um, We needed to understand how that fell apart because he didn't just come home and end up on the streets. Right? No. No. He didn't just come home and um, and had an inability to reintegrate into civilian life. And that's the other thing that pissed me off and almost turned me off about this movie. But then I realized it has to do with the driving narrative that makes the news. And that's the point that they wanted to make. And then it turned out, I was like, oh, you pissed me off, which means you were successful because... <laughs> I had to, that this is what added a star back to my review when I had to start thinking about what are the aspects, what are you playing with here, right? Mm-hmm. They had to give us a balance between wanting us to see what the system looks like from the outside with glimpses inside the tents, like um, Michael K. Williams as the negotiator versus the person who was in charge of the command center and the police on the ground versus what was clearly a chief of police who's over here making some decisions and doing some things and not actually truly coordinating it, which all leads to this implication of the idea that these people are not the only thing that processed that you're supposed to take from the message they give you is peaceful resolution to the hostage situation for the authorities equaled somebody's dead. Right. Hmm. And that through fair kind of lines up with how John Boyega played a certain aspect of this man's personality and the encounter. Right. But on the, but on the other end, I had to start thinking about what do we hear about these people on the news? How are they described? How do we talk about them? And um, yeah, and it's like everybody wants to talk about the pain and the protest and no one wants to talk about the precursor. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So describing a man who walks into a bank as a bank robber and then as you start to find out about him and his past, putting the word disgruntled in front of veteran hmm. means no one asks 
any more questions. Right? Right. Oh, he was disgruntled. Oh, he was just mad. Oh, he was just frustrated. Oh, this is how they act when they can't get their way. I was like, this bitch got me. (laughs) I'm like, this is the part of the conversation that they wanted to have. And as much as I'm upset because I feel like they mined this man's life to to narrow this down, I then understood why we were only talking about what happened in that bank. Why everything else was kind of blurry in the background. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't dig in. Why the, 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 the manifestation of his mental issues was demonstrated the way that it was. Which I don't like. <laughs> because I don't believe it is an adequate portrayal of what was going on with the man. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But that's when it starts to feel like it's a composite of what we want to have as the narrative about what we do with mental health and veterans, mm-hmm. people who we've trained to function at a heightened sense of awareness and paranoia. Yeah. So do you think that was... No, go. I was going to ask, do you think that that was intentional, though? Or are they just... Because I always come back I to... I think, they, I think they fell into it. I don't think they realized... Yeah. They did a better job of giving a commentary on this system from their place of lack of understanding. I think their lack of understanding is why these notes work because right, it's in, right. incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible, right? Like you were saying mm-hmm. at the top of the hour, uh, these are the things that you care about. You care about mm-hmm. veterans. You care about their mental health. You you care about the fact that we make them promises and then they come home and it seems like we just shit the bed on all those promises. Which, by the way, we right. do unless you fight. Um, yeah. But yeah, people should have to fight. <laughs> I think there but should yes, be presumption. I mean, I mean, do you if you have access to Apple TV Plus or you know the means to get access? John Stewart is doing a show. Um, the problem with John Stewart, and the first episode focuses on. Um, veterans and presumption and what's happening to certain veterans who were exposed to burn pits in the mm-hmm. last couple of um, conflicts. We can't call them war because they were not declared by Congress. <sighs> what else? That's uh, a whole yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, but like the, the last couple of conflicts and wars that we have because, you know, the declared one, there was this thing that was happening where able-bodied soldiers were being overtly exposed to toxic chemicals to the point to where they call the fumes that were coming from these burn pits this generation's Agent Orange. There is not a presumption for the people who were in those situations and exposed that that exposure is responsible for their later conditions. They have to fight. that, And this is the thing that a lot of people in the outside system to understand there's something called service connected mm-hmm. everything that happens you have to have an established record that it's service connected or your benefits don't kick in and you have no protection oh god so it's incomprehensible. as you as you say these things yes this this is what would have lit the fire under this script even more. Like, right, which is why I said we should have gotten a movie about Brian and not a hostage situation. 
Yes, yes. Fully, fully agreed on that. And we simply just needed more time at the VA and his interactions with the VA outside of the flashbacks of him getting arrested or in just little things like that. Where where was this where was the core of those interactions? Because I think the people who made this people think Americans know. I think the world to a greater degree <laughs> think <laughs> but I don't think it's an underestimation because we should know. I think people think to a greater mm-hmm. degree that the state of the world as it exists in the United States is a choice that's made by the people. And on mm-hmm. the one hand it is. It is. If you're nominating and you're electing and you're voting for people whose driving impulse is commerce. And I'm not anti-capitalist because I always hustle, but there's a reason I have to, right? But what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is if you are always electing people who have convinced you that the reflection of your life being okay is based and evaluated on what your economy looks like, you're making a choice. If you're electing people who think, quote, good business means good profit, Mm -hmm. and you're putting them in public office, their driving impulse is going to be to spend money, to make money, or to get something out of it, and to make make you repay in before you get anything out of it. They're not thinking about the point of view. You serve. We owe. The side problem of this, though, is you have people running for these positions on broken promises already. They right. say these things, but they don't they don't actually execute on their promises. But we don't actually we don't ask the right questions. And I think That's that this true. movie Very true. I, I think this movie does a good job about making us think about what are the right questions. What are the right questions to ask when you see a hostage situation on TV? What are the right questions that we should be demanding that our journals ask? How much time do we want to give, does everything need to be breaking news? Does there have to be that 24 hour news cycle? Which means how, like what, what, what damage are we doing by allowing the churn? Mm-hmm. Be it social media, be it regular media, be it propaganda. Because we have all three. So I think that they accident. I think I think some of it was purposeful. I do truly honestly believe that some of it was purposeful. But I think mm-hmm. for them, this movie was more about um, the boots on the ground response to that hostage situation and the fact that the resolution to this hostage situation almost immediately equated to that Black man dying. And yeah. obviously, um, they tell you flat out, this is a fucking tragedy. He walks in the bank saying, I know I ain't going home today. That's in the trailer. So I'm not spoiling. And I think everybody needs to come in at least with that level set. Because if you don't, this movie can maybe trigger you as a Black person watching it. No matter your station yeah. in life, it may mess with you if you don't come in with that understanding that you were, wa- you were, wa- you were, wa- you were walking towards a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. But when you pull back from that, what truly actually works about this movie is the thing that it kicks you when you realize whether they did it completely purposefully or not. They've made a movie that the the driving point, even the way that John Boyega played him. Now, don't get me wrong. He did good service 
for the hostage situation and the themes that they were playing around with. Right. right. But I will go. I will go into the ground saying Brian deserved Jonathan, and maybe they should have rescheduled until he was free. Yeah. What was what was the timeline like for when John had to back out? Or sorry, when uh, well, they're both called John. They're both John. <laughs> when Jonathan had to back out and John Boyega came in, do you know well, that timeline? I, I wonder I if he even... had to just. I wonder if he had to just rush in. I know, I know it was I know it was slightly short notice because when the announcement for 892 first came out, it was John Boyega. So when I saw the picture for the announcement for Sundance, and I mean it was Jonathan Majors. So when I saw the picture for the announcement for Sundance, I'm like, that is not Jonathan Majors. Who is that? And I stared at his face with my head. I'm like, that is John Boyega. I am still <laughs> in this movie. I am still interested. But yeah, mm-hmm. and this and I feel like I feel like we now live in a world where I need to make certain caveats so people don't feel like I'm saying certain things and taking them out of context. I do not believe that you need to be a Black American to play a Black American. I do not believe that you need to be a Black American to write about the inequities and the systemic failures of things in America. I do not believe Mm -hmm. that you need to be American to talk about uniquely American problems. All you have mm-hmm. to do is be willing to listen, research, learn, and and be open to a world that might be beyond. Right. But a but a movie that's about the incomprehensibleness of desperation, because at the end of the day, I do think that is one of the very focused prongs in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I came away from this movie and I was like. You almost made me cry. <laughs> I was angry and sad. Those those two simple emotions are easy for me to admit to. Angry and sad. But I had to figure out why I almost cried. Because it wasn't the movie. But like the ways in which this movie was overcalibrated occasionally pulled me out emotionally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some of the ways in which it was over stylized, but these transitions smooth. Girl got tears. Her DVD. I remember texting you the first mm-hmm. thing. I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. they took me out of the movie because I was just gawking at right. the wonderfulness but, of those scene transitions and the editing. And but, that's the problem. They took you out. Yeah. And you yeah. started to remember you were watching. A movie. We've stopped walking towards that tragedy and started looking at the filmmaking. Mm, mm-hmm. It's it. Uh, yeah, it's such a shame because usually for something like that, you celebrate it, right? Mm-hmm. You celebrate the fact that for a first-time feature for Abby, like these are things that you celebrate. You say, "Wonderful job! This mm-hmm. these scene transitions are beautiful." But does it align with what you need to convey for the story and how you need to tell the story for audiences who maybe should be familiar, but are not quite there? Right. I I mean, I think some of the scene transitions and the editing is just... It's just remarkable. Yeah, but I also think uh, the choices that were made for what they were doing are great. 
they're great. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take anything away from that. Um, yeah. I love the way that they made it look. It had a good contemporary feel. They went from like a kind of a muddy, muted tone from the beginning of the movie and they kind of heightened and ramped it up. They used um, that they they used lighting well to also convey a sense of worry and blurriness off the camera and the angles because yeah, you, you had yeah. to get depth and dimension. Um, mm-hmm. I love the set pieces and the way that they staged people and how they had people put like the actual positioning of the bodies because the majority of this movie, the camera is three people in a room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, whether you're inside or outside, the camera is one to two people or three people in that room. And I yep. think all of that work and I and 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 it it flows beautifully. And for a, a movie about a hostage situation, all of those elements, like they're money. They're that like for especially for a feature debut filmmaker looking <laughs> back through her dailies and putting this together. Mm-mm. Her team the people she chooses to work with and their eye and all of it together, it worked. But um, that disconnect happens because their incredulousness required them to believe people will understand what we're saying. I mean, yeah. they, live, they live this, they'll get it. They'll, they'll, they'll pick up on that nuance. They'll see the, they'll see the implication. But, and this is where I feel like past that point, um, the conversation that we're having is one I hope that more people have about do we ask the right questions? Yeah. Do we push at the exactly. right times? It's like we're already talking a lot now about how everybody wants to frame the narrative in form in terms of the president, right? Well, the mm-hmm. president didn't get consensus, so the president's losing his popularity. And I'm like, we have three branches of government, and the president <laughs> doesn't make our and I'm like, and the president doesn't write nor make our laws. So where's our attention? So when you're talking about a movie about systemic failures and someone having a cascade of failures, you're talking about the police's reaction, how we Mm -hmm. have trained community policing to look like militarized situations out the gate. And that's a commentary. And I feel like letting that commentary in this movie kind of ride silently was a good play. Mm -hmm. But then when you start talking about the the understanding of what's the, the VA and how our regulatory structure works, you have to understand that bureaucracy and the law are not the same thing. <laughs> I know that's right. And it hurts to have to admit that as a lawyer. <laughs> but, but but I didn't practice law in a court. I did corporate stuff. So mm-hmm. I was the person who stood between that law and had to distill it down into something to what it was supposed to look like when they established the policies and procedures to implement that law in a way that was going to impact people. And I think that there are a lot of people who think Americans know more about the law and the distillation of what it looks like in their real life than we do. And I, I don't understand where that comes from. Because we, when you read we Americans, the materials, the civics is there. They're reading what we should be reading, not realizing 
a lot of us don't get those books. They have better access to educational materials about America as the colonial experiment and then the democratic experience than actual Americans have direct access to through our public and private education system on the ground. So but now this just goes back from, to yes. the consulting. Where yes. were these conversations with people who actually lived this and breathe it and experience right. it? Right, which is where you get into, what questions did you ask? Exactly. And I think that's, that. yeah, but that's why I feel like um, at the end of the day, they did a really good job with whether it was fully intentional or it was just this, the end result of the things that they did distill from these conversations mm -hmm. and their research, that it comes into we as the people who get into this situation have to figure out why we're upset. Like I told mm -hmm. you, this yeah. movie almost made yeah. me cry. I was angry and I was sad and I needed to figure out why because I knew I was walking into a tragedy. I knew I was walking towards a tragedy from jump. And I think yeah. this is not a narrative that's exploitive. It's not a narrative that um, uh, forgets that it's talking about Black people and a Black person and, and the problems that face a lot of Black people, or it's not one that forgets about veterans. I just think that they stuck to the part of the story they should be talking about. Uh, and that's smart but it yeah. opens the door for us to have to really take a hard look at this and what do we know and when did we know it and why should we know it and how should we be learning about it and i don't Absolutely. think that those are questions that anybody asks anymore which is why i think everybody should watch this movie because you're gonna feel some type of way you're either gonna be mad and you're gonna be mad specifically about the direct ending of this movie or you're gonna be mad that you had this great ensemble and it feels like despite the fact that you got amazing moments in each person's performance and a solid ass ensemble that makes this work it still feels thin yeah and and you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with the fact that it feels over calibrated and mm -hmm. and I know I'm not the only person who's probably going to use that word. So I want to put it in the context of saying that I feel like they decided they wanted to try to lean too far into all of the tools that John Boyega brought to the table to still get all the other elements into the story. And they they mm -hmm. bounced it yep. back and forth between the scenes that you see with Michael K. Williams. I am so going to miss him on the screen. Damn it. And John. And then the scenes I between... I just look the the way that this pandemic put people in desperate situations to where mm -hmm. you reached for maybe the harmful coping mechanism. Hello. Yeah. Um, these are conversations that we need to have. These are narrative that we need to be open to hearing because this needs to be front and center. Like, um, I don't know whether or not you've gotten a sense from Sundance that there are certain themes at play between what got picked. Um, I don't. <laughs> Most, I, I don't, because like I said, I, I back when the, the schedule was first announced, I took my look and then I bounced out. I try to go into these things without too much information as long as what I'm seeing is a diverse set of people and I did like on my schedule at least I have a good amount of women directors I have a good amount of first-time directors I have a good amount of black directors 
Um, and so as long as that was a part of my schedule, I was okay. But as far as themes and what got chosen, I'm unsure of if there is some pattern. Okay. Okay. Um, so I did not do this on purpose. <laughs> she totally uh, did it on purpose. Y'all, girl, <laughs> when I tell you I did not do this on, I don't believe I just called you y'all, like you 30 people, whatever. I did not. <laughs> it's talking to my mama. She's a South. What you want from me? Um, I actually didn't do this on purpose, but it dawned on me about halfway through this movie because I had just watched uh, a documentary called Wrightsville, USA. Mm. That, that was um, on my list, but I took it off. <laughs> well, I may have to fix that for you so we can talk about it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, oh, okay. I realized that they there's a there, the breadth the breadth of stories and perspectives whether it's in short form or long form at Sundance is one of the things that I really truly ac always appreciate about Sundance it's not just that these are the most likely ones that you're going to see at acquisition and people are going to get their hands on the fastest so when we talk about them we have a concrete way of being able to tell somebody you're going to be able to see this movie like I believe you're going to be able to see 892 quickly Mm -hmm. I like Is I think eight twenty four. Yeah, I think it's or already been. No, yeah. I don't think you're making that up. I think it's already. It was either made in conjunction with, or it's already got distribution. It's already been done at acquisition. Um, nope, it's Amazon oh, okay. Studios. Okay. It's Amazon Studios. So this is going to come. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're going to see this really. I, I hope they do give it at least a limited release because I believe that the, this ensemble, at a minimum, people should be talking about this ensemble come award season. Um, I also mm -hmm. think that from a very white perspective, John Boyega is going to hit. <laughs> and I don't say that with any disrespect. I, I think it's about, I say it for the points, some of the things, the ebb and flow that don't work for us. Yeah. They're going to work for them. Because that's how they've been trained to receive information about Black tragedy. And I think that's, yeah, so I, I think it's going to hit. And I don't have a problem with that. I truly don't. Um, but I also think I realized I came into this movie, I came into this movie for Nicole Bahari. I stayed for John Boyega. And then I was happy to find out that Michael K. Williams was in it. Mm -hmm. So it stayed yeah. on my list. Um, I picked another movie because uh, Kate Mara and Elizabeth Banks were in it. Mm -hmm. I I picked another movie. So I kind of came in eyeing people whose work I like and was like, I picked uh, Fresh because okay. Sebastian Stan is in it. And y'all, yeah, my yeah my attachment to Sebastian Stan is, is now been confirmed as inappropriate. And just is- Really? Yeah. Oh, girl. Yeah. Let's have an entire podcast on this. That might have to happen, but like, yeah, I realized after watching Fresh that my attachment to Sebastian Stan is just highly inappropriate, and I might, I'm gonna be honest. Um, especially after watching Fresh, like you realize that after that movie. Uh huh. Girl, I, sure I got yeah, some questions. I, like, I got questions. Listen, I was like, hmm, that might be how I die. Okay. Oh. Noted. Listen, <laughs> 
Listen, I'm I'm gonna have to order you a couple therapists or something. Maybe maybe we'll if that was if that episode. was your realization. Look, look, maybe we'll maybe we'll you know we'll call <laughs> scene on 892 and maybe I can talk Brent and getting back on the mic with me and we'll talk about fresh and we can go into my problems with Sebastian Stan and why I realized that it might not be okay. But but that's how I was putting together my schedule. Like I like that I saw um, emergency because I watched. Um, our hashtag J, his uh, mm-hmm. the, the director's first movie uh, that was a reenactment, uh, a redoing of Romeo and Juliet, which I actually right. liked. Um, and I think that the elements that I didn't like or didn't work for what he was trying to do in our pound J, he put to better use. Carrie Williams is the director. He put to better mm-hmm. use in Emergency. Um, nice. But- so that's kind of where I was coming from. I'm like, oh, I like this director. He's back at Sundance. Let's see what he's doing. Oh, I love this actor. Who did they give their time to mm. for Sundance, right? Because like Sebastian Stan, it's amazing when you get him in an indie setting. And I've like, I've always dug like some of his indie stuff. It's not my fault. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll do a recording. I'm. We'll talk about Fred. <laughs> I need to know. Uh, Maybe we, yeah, I'll we'll slip in some confessions of my own. Maybe. Okay. We'll have that moment together later. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's how I put together my schedule. And when I realized that's what I was doing, it didn't even click. And so uh, halfway through 892, after I had seen Riotsville, and I was like, oh, uh-oh. Mm. Did I just theme this? Shit. Because I just watched Call Jane, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Banks. And then I was like, I have the documentary, The Janes, to watch. Shit. <laughs> and and on one level, I, it's one of the things I like about film festivals and how I got back into really digging documentaries. Uh, because I was able to yeah, pair give them. Give me the juice. Because me and documentaries, you already know this. I know. We don't, you need, we, look, we don't I, like each other. <laughs> I'm going to tell you like I tell a lot of people how I feel about documentaries. I feel like sometimes documentaries need to be a communal experience. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people watch documentaries in a silo. They watch them by themselves and they need to become like black community TV. The same way we get together to like mystery science theater, some trifling mess or (laughs) or the way we will get together and we talk at a screen on like an action Mm -hmm. movie or a horror movie. I really think that documentaries need to become a community experience because in a vacuum, you don't always click what's happening and depending on how they put together, if it's like a lot of archive led footage or if it's a lot of interviews and you don't know who's being interviewed or you don't care about who's being interviewed, you mm-hmm. might miss, you might miss a thing that's important. But if you're watching the right. documentary with somebody, y'all can chop it up about what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and True. I think it, and I think it ends up in conversations like we had about 892. We both came in basically liking the movie for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think the reasons that you liked the movie were like making you making excuses for some of the things that you clocked as a problem. <laughs> and I didn't yeah. let you. <laughs> and then some of the things that I was pulling away from the movie, you reminded me that this is filmmaking. This is art. This is a creative process. So you didn't let me let this kind of weight pull me out of pull away from my why of why I liked or why I want to mm-hmm. recommend that people watch this. Documentaries mm-hmm. are the same thing. 
Like when mm. I say that I ended up on a theme with this and I'm kind of happy that it worked out that way. And I made, I'm thinking about doing like a, instead of doing a traditional review for my festival coverage, I might do two episodes about the fictional thing I watched and the documentary mm -hmm. that end of kind of dovetailed together with it. I might just drop two episodes about that. And one of them will probably be about some of the black perspectives that are in there versus some of the black documentaries that I'm seeing in here oh. during the fest. That's yeah. how that's how documentaries got me, right? Okay. That's how I got back into them. That's why I always recommend them to people. And I'm not gonna lie, sometimes it's why I sound smarter than I actually am. Because I'll <laughs> I'll watch a documentary. Girl, and I, this what? coming from a lawyer. Most lawyers are stupid. Yeah. We just read well. <laughs> like, read and regurgitate. That's why <laughs> bad lawyers are plentiful. But what I meant by that but even is having like, that sorry, we I'm divergent, but having that power to retain information is actually very useful and it'll help you process information better than some of us slower folks. So don't sell yourself short. It's one of my superpowers. Uh -uh. I recognize and acknowledge it. But I like, <laughs> but, but I don't feel like okay. This is another movie for me that brings into focus this place where we've gotten to this antithetical place where um, I feel like poor uh, poor people, and I mean in physical actual wealth, not soul or emotional poor, but like in the actual tangibleness of money and black people specifically, because I don't tend to speak, try to speak for other communities that I'm not a part of, are being encouraged look we're being encouraged to throw away things that keep us out of chains hmm. we're being encouraged to simplify ourselves down to a single stance on an issue like hmm. like i just had a conversation with my mom and my uh, one of my cousins although they don't know they were part of the conversation. So I just very tactfully tried to say we was talk about somebody in our family. Um, <laughs> where a part of the conversation, we came to a realization that the definition and what my mother's understanding of what respectability politics were and what the meaning and the purpose of it is, is wholly different than what it is now and how it's distilled now. And mm. so she she mm -hmm. got into a conversation with someone who was younger. And first of all, don't do this with old black women. You can get killed. Uh -huh. Somebody basically tried to okay boomer my mom. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Right. I'm imagining so, that didn't work out well for them. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not at all. But she called me and she's like, what's, I'm like, why do you, what's going on? And it came down to, it's a miscommunication. It's a misunderstanding of a term they were both using that they don't mean the same thing by. Ah. Uh, and uh, she's having a difficult time with people having a wholesale rejection of what things meant within the setting outside of the contemporary setting that it is now. Like my mm. mom, my mom is a little older than a lot of, people who have kids my age my mom was born in the 40s so my mom went all the way through the end of jim crow 
and integration. She was, she, you know, like she yeah. went to an all black high school that was seized and dismantled to force those kids to be a part of the groups that got bust. Mm. So she, yeah. so she has, yeah. So she has very not so hot feelings about busing because she went to a preeminent black school. Like her yeah. teachers were black. They had masters and PhDs because they'd gone to the HBCU and da 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 da, right? And come back mm-hmm. to their community and they'd established a school. And when the the determination for how busing was going to be implemented was made, they targeted where my mom lived to disperse those kids elsewhere. Now it, it seems wow. like it went well because separate but equal was bad. But a lot of people missed the point. We didn't ask you to close our schools. We asked you to give us money. We wanted your money. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so the decision when it came down on the local level, when it was give them their cut or close their school and force them to other schools, they didn't want to give their their cut. So, So that's from her frame of mind. She's like, well, then we have to infiltrate and take over. We have to learn how to master these systems so these systems don't become our master. Right. That is not how people talk about respect- respectability politics no. in 2022. No. 2021. Wow. So she's wow, like, it's so interesting to hear that. Yeah. So she was like, we weren't trying to become slaves to the system. We weren't trying to stay on the plantation. We were trying to figure out how deep the foundation went. So when we burnt that house down, was it going to be solid ground for us to build something new on? Or. Mm-hmm. Do we not even need to burn it down, just get rid of everybody who's inside and move the fuck in and do something different with the land? And I was like, <laughs> why have we never had these conversations before? She's like, because apparently you wasn't dumb enough for me to need to say this shit out loud so you got old. I was like, uh-huh. oh, oh, I'm going to need you oh. to take the smoke that needs to be directed she- at the person who pissed you off and not shade your child. <laughs> Damn. But she caught me on a full and I oop, and I had to <laughs> and I had to look at her and I was fire like, and bullets. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't cuss my mama out. But it was two solid body blows to my kidneys. Damn. <laughs> so when I'm watching this movie and you start thinking about what are the questions that we need to ask, what's the perspective from which we should be looking at these positions, what's the narrative that we need to come from? Uh, Mm -hmm. You also have to take into consideration, you know, my mother is a child who is a product of the Kerner Commission. Mm -hmm. So her relationship to police brutality and police violence and the response therein is completely different. And I never understood it until I watched Riotsville, USA. Interesting. Okay. Which is is why we're going to work on getting you a link and we're going to talk about it more in depth. And I'm not doing it because I... Because this is it was a, it was a completely purposeful context for me to want to watch this documentary, yeah. That's talking about Watts and talking about 1968 and all mm. of this kind of stuff, right? Like, I didn't even know that the justification at a federal level for the way that money is spent in policing comes from the Kerner Commission, the one that investigated the riots after all of the upheaval in 1968 that led and all that stuff. I did not know. I was like, word. But when you get into this documentary and they lead you all nice up to it and they kind of give you this stuff and it opens up by saying all of this footage was recorded by the U S military. 
So they forward, they Freedom of Information Act to get access to some archives and they went in and they dug, right? Oh, wow. So when I'm looking at this and you look on the back end and now I'm watching this movie that's talking about how this city, this town, this place, this police department responded to this hostage situation at a bank with a black man saying he had a bomb, right? Mm -hmm. And then you take out the, the, the one element that you as a black woman, black person, I focus on it's black man. And then you think about it in a greater context that this militarized response is just how they respond now. Yeah. Right. And it never, it never, I never had the proper context for why this narrative doesn't die. And it seems to be one that all white people very specifically from the top down feel committed to. It's because they think they're coming from the place of the solutions that were given out of the commission that happened in the aftermath of the 68 riots, 67, 66, 67 riots. But what they don't tell you is that one section was one in an addendum to the Kerner Commission. Two, part of a more than 200 page report of recommendations of implementations for change. Wow. And three, the only section that was implemented and funded, and the only one that still exists as a part of our federal jurisprudence and policing of tactics. Of course. It changes course. you think about the conversation for what we need to be talking about to change the narrative. We're not having the right conversation we're not talking about this that's why we can't pierce this bubble of complacent smug righteousness that white people have whether they call themselves allies whether they say they're salt of the earth whether they think they fragile and anxious or whether they think they are about it and involved or whether they're business minded (laughs) or whatever that one basic fundamental thing you know who I think you would get along with? Who? Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> oh hell. You really gonna try to make me watch that damn movie, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> Listen. Listen, I saw that quote he gave at the QA and literally everything made sense. It all made sense. I was like, he talk about Hollywood. Oh. <laughs> I was like, he talking about Hollywood. Yeah, no, I mean, well, now I'm interested in the movie in a way that I wasn't before between what you've had to say and, and um, I saw Robert Daniels uh, review mm-hmm. and then I and and I saw him slide a real shade comment into it in a, and, and it was, it, I mean, this is, it was one of the smoothest, most tactful ways to say. Always get blue shade. Yeah, <laughs> and people, and I and get mad at me because people be missing it. But this is what I'm saying. We as a the black community are being encouraged. And I don't know where it's coming from or why, but I wish it would stop because it really it's unsettling to me and it's dangerous to us as a community and it's dangerous to women, black women specifically. We're mm-hmm. being encouraged to throw away the means to never be mastered by this jacked up system that we're in. We have to yep. know more. We have yep. to know more. 
we have to, and it's not about doing your own research and reading the things they don't want you to read because you can very easily, when you fall down that rabbit hole, you can very easily run into a white person who's who's not from the United States or you can find one of them old ass philosophers who you feel like is saying some shit <laughs> or he gave one of them speeches. Cause I've run into a, 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 a small group of black men who keep quoting this one dude to me and I keep looking at them and I was like, <laughs> he, he had, he had servants that he didn't pay. What we called him. Why are you all up on this nihilistic ass man's philosophy when the only <laughs> black people he fucked with was the man who he gave his shoes that he didn't even let polish them in his house? Stop it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I started to realize that a significant amount of the information and the knowledge that we need is actually owned by the people who we're being discouraged from connecting and interacting with. And the way my mom implemented respectability politics, we'll just use that word because she was all triggered by it, ready to fight and insulting me behind it. The way my mom went about it, she's like, no, you need to learn. You need to be able to understand. She's like, you. She's like, look, if they got a Dewey decimal system, you need to know Dewey better than they know Dewey because that's where they'll hide shit from you. Yep. If they suggest one book, you need to go fi- find the three that they use to write that one book and find out what didn't they give you. It's like there was one of the movies that was talking about a book that gets read in school that is the most annoyingly boring book on the face of the earth, Leaves of Grass. Hmm. And you don't realize that that old white dude in the unredacted book, that book is queer as hell. The whole book is about getting (laughs) some ass. The whole book is about smashing. Oh. And the parts they have you read in school is they want you to get to the lyricism and the the way that he's talking about nature. The whole book is a euphemism for smashing. I didn't know until I ran into someone who had an unabridged, unredacted copy and got to read the passages they didn't give me in school. So I was bored as hell in this dumbass class making me read these passages out this dumbass book. Ran into someone who said, you know, he was queer, right? He's fucking everything that moved. I'm like, excuse him? <laughs> she's like, she's like, how much of this have you read? I was like, I read the whole book. She's like, I don't think so. Comes yeah. back out. She's like, here. I'm like, why is that book twice the size of the one that I checked out the library for school? She's like, that. Wow. They actually, the story. Wow. Right. I was like, well, I'll be damned. Hit it in plain sight. Out here using this queer man's work to talk to us about iambic pentameters and stanzas and relationship with nature and how you like can juxtapose that as a deep metaphor and allegory. And never once you telling me this whole book is about the fact that this man want to smash somebody. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and so like so it's not so like yeah so like this so like this movie opened the door for me to have a different perspective from which i looked at how we talk about how we got to such a militarized state Mm -hmm. or or why it is that there's some people who want to talk about how black people oh you guys always go straight to black genocide it's y'all are all crazy we're not crazy thank you very much and then they said, oh, but, I would say that to me. 
Oh yeah. Um, somebody said that to me when I was in college. I got kicked out that class. Mm. But that's what happens mm. when you put your hands on people. Oh, they send you, they send you to the dean. We we gonna talk about that when we get offline. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be off. The, that's yeah. I don't know the statute of limitations is run on that. We gonna talk about that off mic. <laughs> but I but the thing is, I'm not verbally like physically violent, and a part of it is because my mom took great pains to force me to learn how to verbalize. Mm-hmm. And and she she wanted she wanted to make it to where I could learn how to articulate what I wanted to say. So I would have a facility and a connection to words no one could take from me. Yeah. But she forced me to go through a lot of stuff at school and to stay in things that I wanted to quit because she also wanted me to acquire and maintain the flexibility of critical thinking, reasoning, rationing, and researching that you don't get outside of a more traditional setting. But then she also would take me over to my uncle's house who lived deep in the cut. And she's like, I mean, <laughs> like, she's like, you can't just be able to read a street sign. You need to know which, na- you need to know how to read a neighborhood because you talk too yeah. much now. You can get your ass. <laughs> she's like, so you gonna go to your uncle's house. You gonna go to your auntie's house. We gonna see how you come back. You know, oh. I was like, She's like, we may not live up. She's like, I'm going to take you where I grew up and leave you there for a week. I'm going to take hey. you over here in the country and leave you for the summer. And then I'm going to go send you over there with the white people and see if you can still hang. But <laughs> but look how that shaped you. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> crazy as hell. No, you're well-rounded. Okay, we'll go with we'll go with your term. I like it better. It's one I can say in mixed company. But but that well-roundedness comes at a cost when I'm talking to black people because a lot of them like to discount what I have to say or why the way that I say it. See oh, now that part is annoying. Or you got a colonized mind. I'm like, no, I don't. Because the reality of the situation is, y'all don't want me. Y'all don't want me to have, like. I keep a lot of my opinions to myself because I'm radical as hell. <laughs> as hell <laughs> and not quite as democratic as y'all like but um, <laughs> but like that that's one of the things that I really love about film festivals because you can find a way to connect to these things you can find a way to mm-hmm. to, to, to blend in with these things and there's a narrative that can be heard and there's a lens that's of value and it, it comes from all different places so I appreciated the fact that this is a woman making this movie because I feel like part of the reason why the characterizations of what we got when she was looking at the eye for the actors that she picked to play the two bank tellers in the bank. Mm -hmm. I don't think we would have gotten the same casting if it had not been a woman's eye behind that lens. Probably not. Um, I also feel like the, well, the, the, the elements that we did get of Brian's personality is a blend of her from a woman's perspective of what a woman would want to know to try to understand somebody who's like this and a black man sitting here saying, you can't leave this out. Yeah. Yeah. In service of this narrative. Now I do believe that a lot of that fights, but all of those elements are deserved and it's not, and it's only because they tried to do too much through the narrow funnel of John Boyega's portrayal and not enough blown out around the world to give him a little room to breathe so he could match and maintain the the, the tense and, and traumatic, traumatic energy level of the people he was in the bank with at all times. Right? Right. That's but, a great point about 
Abby's eye on this versus a, a man's because it brings me back to in those moments that we do see Brian's personality, even in the hostage situation when you know he he uh, you know I'm about to go into spoilers so I won't say exactly what Recap. I wanted to say but when he shows those softer moments when he apologizes often those are things that I question would that have been on in the script had this been you know a, a different people behind the the screen or behind the page I don't know but I'm glad I think that those moments his, yeah were there yeah. I do believe, I think that if it had been a, a man, some of they, they would have emphasized some of the things that we're tired of seeing emphasized with respect to the portrayals of Black men. Yeah. Right? The yelling, the screaming, the anger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's why I said the place from where he sits to where he brings up and how he emotes out, I think mm -hmm. he's still young. I think it's still developing. Um, I yeah. think the more that he kind of settles and he embraces in, I think that we are only going to see fantastic things from him if he continues Absolutely. to kind of go in this trajectory, because I think he's really becoming a full tool actor with a lot of depth and range that he's learning to lean into. And yeah. um, it's not fair to hold the fact that I know it was supposed to be Jonathan Majors against him, but everybody knows that I am absurdly attached to Jonathan Majors and y'all going to deal with your lives. Um, Listen, but I is fine as hell. Sorry, mm -hmm. I just had to say that. Mm -hmm. God Lord bless Jesus. him and his booty. Uh -huh. <laughs> All the booty. Yes. We, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, John may not have looked like it in this movie, but John ain't John ain't a problem. I, I mean, we could be friends too. But I think, I think, I think. I think some of the things that he did to try to convey the point were done in physicality and he needed to have done them from a more an emotional point, nuanced point. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what really worked about. Yeah. And I think that's what really worked about Nicole Bahari's performance because she came up from there and she turned a moment that shouldn't have been anything into one where I almost lost my shit because of what she says in that moment, because that is what a lot of black women are just flat out fucking saying to men, especially black men all the time. Yep. I need you not yep. to, I need this yep. for you. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so yeah, I think a 92 is going to stay at the top of my, um, happy it's been acquired. Definitely think it's been acquired by the right place. It definitely fits into what Amazon Studios is doing, particularly on the topic of talking about things that have to do with veterans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm like, if you never saw the movie that was with, um, was it Morgan Freeman and the little boy from The Office, Corral? Um, it's one of the first movies that came out from Amazon Studios about them going to pick up a flag from one of their compadres who's died and I about die, I about lost some shit. Oh, but wow. it, yeah, it's a good movie. It's for, I think first flag, final flag. I'll find it for you. But they, 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 they I, I like the narrative tone and direction mm -hmm. for the, the, some of the projects they pick up at an independent place. I think this is a good fit for um, Prime when it gets there. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also think as a hostage negotiation, closed room, kind of streamlined paced movie, they get in and they get out, they get it done, they open the door for a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And it and and I will say I think the guilty handled the closed room, narrowed, streamlined, COVID 
impacted script better <sighs> structurally? Structurally, yes. Yes, I agree with that. Look, don't give me Should the you that... problems with Jake Genethal face. Listen, no. You know how you feel about Sebastian. That's how I feel about Jake, okay? I know. But, um, <laughs> no, it was the ending. That was just a total turnoff for me. Right. But that's one of the reasons why I say, structurally speaking, because they narrowed this to just being about the bank, ending yeah. it where they did, as much as it hurts, was right. Um, yeah. because they didn't give us a more holistic world. They didn't have any choice. And I think they made the right decision where they yeah. ended it, even if I didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> and that just comes back to what we, narratively speaking, the absences and the missed opportunities that were in this script. So, yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. thank you for I, I definitely want people to watch this. And more importantly, after watching it, I want people to be, and obviously I cannot speak for every American, but for those who are a little unfamiliar with what's happening with the VA, I want people to be angry that they are unaware yeah. or they don't know those fine details. And Stop assuming. Yes. Stop assuming that you understand something or stop assuming that the problem is because this goes through an agency. Stop assuming that you know what the problem is and actually go learn. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know the words service connected and you are associated with anybody who is in the military, be they active and will become a veteran or is currently mm -hmm. a veteran and dealing with trying to get their benefits and be taken care of with the respect and fullness that they deserve, go yep. learn, go learn. The second yeah, exactly. I really Listen, girl, I'm sorry to bring this up again. Military girl. issues aside, but please watch when you're finished saving the world. Fine. <laughs> because Fine. literally what Fine. you just said, stop assuming you know and go learn. Put in the work to go learn. That is literally the premise of when you're and, finished saving the world. So, yeah. So when it when you come into all of that, that's why I kind of was like, this is a great effort and why I really love film festivals because I may not have seen this until it hit prime and I only would have gone because of John Boyega and Nicole Blair. Mm -hmm. And now I'm coming mm -hmm. into it and I can talk about it and say, no, this is a tight, it's not too long. It doesn't do everything that it could do. It doesn't perfectly execute everything that it tries, but mm -hmm. the lens through which this person is looking at this kind of incident and looking at the world and circumstances in which it happens is fascinating and it's unique and it opens the door Absolutely. for more. And I want, I want black people to see it. I want uh, black critics to see it. I want them to talk about it and I want them to be more frank about, you know, talking about the dichotomy and the juxtaposition of what we have to do to place ourselves to be able to watch these movies. Mm -hmm. um, but I also want us to recognize and acknowledge that we hold a certain responsibility about who we empower to speak for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the competency of the conversation that we have requires that they have a repository of knowledge that they can draw on that's far deeper than what we currently require. 
And we need to stop giving people permission to say, I can learn it when I get there. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. I'm sorry. I don't got my foot stuck and hurt in a lot of doors. I'm going to try to stick it in. So that ain't yeah, always the best it, way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. But we're being encouraged to lead with our deficits as a way to capitalize on guilt, which is another reflection point that had never dawned on me until I was listening to a round table of old heads, all black guys, all hella intellectuals on what mm -hmm. was the precursor to PBS back in the day. It's called PLB and NET. They used to be the people who got the money from the Ford Foundation to do public access TV. Mm -hmm. And this round table of activists, black activists, black men, uh, straight up positioning themselves the same way you saw them old white dudes on like the old school black and white PBS shows where, you know, they're all sitting around in their chairs and they have their pipes, right? And they're just waxing philosophical. But these black men were talking about the exploitation and elimination of black people in America at their day and time. And they were talking mm -hmm. about the tactics and the techniques that were being utilized Against, and weaponized against black people. So I'm sitting here and I was like, word? And y'all were on TV with this conversation? Yeah. Blew my mind. Blew my mind wow. because, because people our age and younger would write them off. Oh, look at them all sitting around in their chairs. Yeah. Uh, they trying to be white. Oh, they bougie or they don't understand the streets and this and that. And they have all these things. But it's it's when I realized that that's what my mom was talking about that they used to do to make themselves unfuckwithable and getting themselves platformed. They proved mm -hmm. themselves capable of sitting in those armchairs and having that armchair discussion that... Right non-black people presume black people are not intellectually suited for not capable of suited for suited for yep and they proved that not only could they own that setting but they could use it and twist it to their purpose and get their point across because they could take your language and infiltrate your mind with their points and i was like y'all bad yeah. And I have a whole new respect. Awesome, yeah. So, yeah. So I think I, I really hope I really hope that a lot of the documentaries that are in the, the film festival get picked up. I, I actually wish that more people would kind of pair them the way that I accidentally have with some of my screenings. Um, mm -hmm. And now apparently I need to go and watch Jesse damn movie because it falls in because of his point. You make me mad. Look, I hate y'all. Y'all made me watch this. Maybe movie. this is maybe this is me digging in a little bit too much, but sometimes I don't think I, you are. I if it I, clicks I, in your head, it's I, probably I, I've really felt it. And it and it took me a while. I didn't really love it when I first finished the movie at all. I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's fine. But then I was really thinking about there's this one character, Ziggy, and he had this conversation with uh, his girl crush and how she's very into politics and she's very into social activism and things like that. And he butts in the conversation like, yeah, I agree with you. And then they ask, well, what do you agree with? And he's like, you know what you said and got a lick of knowledge to support the statement that he says. And I feel like that is what so many 
white liberals do. I hate to say it, but so so many white liberals do. And by saying, yeah, I'm about it, but they don't really know what they're about. Right. And then they can turn around and you see them later when things get hard and they get difficult. They feel very comfortable sitting on TV saying things like, yeah, my liberalism goes down the more I have to deal with this thing in my personal life. Like when they're talking about they're talking about homelessness. And mm-hmm. suddenly there's homeless people that have been pushed out of an area that's affluent and they now have to reckon with the idea that to rich people, they're not rich too. Or to mm-hmm. to white people, their neighborhood is a neighborhood and it's okay that homeless people get pushed to as long as right, it's not. And, right. and then they then they have a reckoning. Or like, or like a lot of people in the country had to have a reckoning to realizing that they work in class when the, the pandemic happened, that their their life where they only get to afford all these quote luxuries that they can go pay to get or pay to have mm-hmm. someone provide that service. They lost access to them because they lost access to those people. And they realize that their money is acting funny because they live on credit. Yep. And, and now they're angry and bitter because you can look at really wealthy people who didn't have the same kind of life interruption because they could just mm-hmm. pay for everybody to come to them and stay. Yep. Like, you know, Oprah's like, I want to be able to see my friend. So I had Gail move on my compound and we all just stay in and quarantine together. Like when you're, when you can, yeah, like, but when your social circle can be, when, when you can say, okay, we have to establish a bubble. Cool. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Yeah. But when you have the money, money to include your masseuse, your housekeeper, their families, (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you can bring all those people to you and you don't have to lose any of that you're like oh I still want to get my hair appointment done I'm going to pay for some high level PCR tests and then she's going to come to my house or I'm going to pay her to open her facility and clean it just for me the reckoning between Having that the people access right, right then and there right that tells you you start dealing with people who, oh, I'm an ally, and then they realize they're not elite. The first thing that takes a hit is that allyship because they recognize mm-hmm. and they start to realize, well, if they made you go back to work, I could get what I want because it wouldn't be closed or wouldn't have reduced hours. Mm-hmm. You work for me. That's slavery of the economic variety. And the rich people at the top, they're not dealing with that and the people who work Nor for them, do they care what's actually right. happening. So we're stuck dealing with the people who fall under that, who think that the world would be fine if everybody would just fall in line so they continue to strive for the lifestyle that they want. It's like, um, mm-hmm. this is the kind of movie that makes you recognize that to some people, because everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, if that's a lifestyle thing, change the lifestyle right uh you know circling back to the conversation we had before we went hot mics but (laughs) but when you think about it in the sense of this to a lot of people being black is a lifestyle choice well you are black but you don't have to be black you don't have to act like that and i don't care what walk of life you point Yeah, I don't care what walk of life or what flavor of Black you may have. Somebody you know has thought that about your ass, whether they have said it to you 
they have thought it about you and they have probably said it to another white person, most likely in a work context. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. No, but when you live in a world that thinks you being yourself is a lifestyle choice you can make differently. Mm -hmm. To add in all the other people who that can apply to. You get a movie like 892 and you have to start wondering, okay, so he called a journalist and he's telling this journalist things. What did they do with it? They have knowledge. They have information. The narrative that they still spun out for the world to see mm-hmm. used words like disgruntled. And then... Unbalanced. Yeah, yeah. Not to give too much away, but there's times, I'll just bring it back to the real world, there's times where people realize what mistakes have been made or what problems could have been solved by finding more information or digging into a person's case. But there's no accountability. Who is keeping these people accountable? Well, we are, but we as the body politic have allowed people in power to get away with describing something as human error and apologizing. Well, I meant for an organization like the VA, if we're bringing it back to because that's what they call it the problem is between seat and screen and as long as they can say the problem is between seat and screen they don't have to take accountability and recognize we need to do an audit somebody Mm -hmm. is exploiting something in our system and it is disadvantaging our people it's like our propaganda problem with like you know, the police shows we have, they specifically have trained the majority of mainstream community that is American citizens and residents and people who visit here to believe that the police work for the prosecution when they don't. Mm -mm. Like, so you get uh, a lot of times where you'll see a cop who say, well, you know, what's done is done, move on. And you'll have another cop who'll be saying, something about this don't feel right. I think we need to keep looking. I think we need to have another set of eyes. And another cop will look and say, hey, did y'all notice that? Anybody talk to that person? Because it looks like that person knows something about what happened. Mm-hmm. And then later you find out on the back end, there was a whole other situation that was going on. They'll come back and like, oh, well, how were they supposed to know that? That's their job. Their job is to investigate. Their job is to, without bias, gather and evaluate evidence, information. That's their job. Their job is not to build a case for the prosecution until they finished investigating. That's yeah. called their that's called their bona fides. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to do the investigation, finish the in- investigation, draw information from that investigation that leads to conclusions and then every conclusion that they reach that they provide to the prosecution is supposed to be backed up by objective identifiable evidence and standards not their gut so when they get something back and the da says this isn't sufficient for me to file charges what they're saying is you haven't proven 
that the assumption that you want me to make can be proven in a court of law as fact. Mm-hmm. They don't work. They don't work for the DA, but they act like they do. So they or they act like the DA should be satisfied with whatever they choose to give them. So then you get situations like this where you've got a, a police chief who knows. Not only does he need to get the situation resolved because it's been called in this bomb threat. Not only does he need to get the situation resolved because it's happening at a bank. And not only does yeah. he need to get the situation resolved because uh, it's now uh, racially volatile. On both ends, he has the mm-hmm. one concern of what do I do about the hostages who aren't white? Mm-hmm. And what do I do about the perpetrator who isn't white? Mm-hmm. So now he's in the unenviable position, because they like those words too, of trying to balance public perception against investigation. So they rushed, they delayed, they waited time, they ran out the clock until they had no choice but to engage, right? These are all it's terms- always that, reactionary and not preventative and proactive. But they think that this is them being preventative and proactive, being able to respond- Oh yeah, that's what they think. The way yeah. that they do. And th- but all of this is what we as the public have been trained. And this is what I think is the narrative that they were really going for in their mm-hmm. primary focus for the movie, that this conversation yeah. that we're having right now, these points. But we as people who live in this system and as a part of this system need to recognize and acknowledge and understand what these things mean and these terms that we've accepted and how we've allowed ourselves to be indoctrinated and what that means. And is it all that we just need to throw everything away or is it that we need to be changing these terms and what they mean and what the standard is? Because I don't think that we need to have no policing, but I think what policing means need to be what needs to be severely recalibrated. I mean, right. it, it, and what and how we need to be immediately redesigned. And I think when you're looking at a situation like this, uh, you had a situation where the bank has a lot of power in this in this in this scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And we we have to reckon with that, and we don't. And that's why I was like, I I want to talk to you. That's why I text you and I said, I think we should chop it up some. Um, we can go into some of these things and bring up some of these points because I think mm-hmm. there's conversations that should be had. And I also think it's a solid movie. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not it's not the best. It's solid, but I'll tell you what, I'm definitely interested in what Abby decides she wants to do. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's a given I for hope, me. Yeah, I hope she, the crew she works with because her cinematographer and her editor, they got they got mad skills. Skills. <laughs> like I, I, I don't even, oh, I don't even like, like I think that she and her writing partner Kwame, I think they could develop into something kind of special too if they choose to, because um, mm-hmm. they got away with an ensemble, mm-hmm. and they clearly are okay with giving their actors room to breathe, and so yeah. I think as yeah. she grows and she, yeah, I think, so I think all of those different elements together are the reason why it works. But I think the greater conversation is the one that we've had and that I hope more people have. But yeah, I mean, this is the first thing out of Sundance that's made me feel like I want to talk about it. 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 And obviously. Really? Yeah. You didn't want to talk about Fresh? Okay, see, I want to talk about Fresh for completely different reasons. Well, yeah, of course. Probably you'll have different reasons for all the films, but... <laughs> but I, I, I meant the one that kind of hits me in my contemporary sensibilities about uh, what's happening with respect to our relationship with our community 
and that this 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 artificial divide we have between labeling something as politics or political versus dealing with the impact of our governance in real life and i and and i think this movie does something about moving those two things together in a way Mm -hmm. that i really was like i know we need to talk about it because you can't get any clearer than a situation like this that implicates all the different things for you to have a recognition that there is no such thing as being political there's mm-hmm. in the sense that oh that's just politics that's something that happens away from me that's something that somebody does to me yes they do it to you so you should fucking pay attention to who the fuck you put up there to let do it i know that's right <laughs> and on that note uh thank you for joining me for uh, kind of a little bit of a wrap up of where we are so far in the festival and what's Brandon kind of motivating us. And I like your strategy. Mm-hmm. I might try it next year. It seems a little less stressful because I'd be doing it. It was definitely less stressful because. So, yeah. Hopefully, we can get together to have some more conversations about the film festival stuff because um, this has been fun. I appreciate yeah, you. Like always. Later. So, thank you for joining me on the MCR Network. And for movie trailer reviews, uh, audiences, we will be having some more mainstream awards caliber movie talk with Chris and Brandon as soon as we get the schedules coordinated, because, you know, they got day jobs and babies and I like to sleep. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'll catch up Hey, sleep and naps is where it's at. So I, I yeah, but you don't that. really be doing it. So shut up. I be trying. <laughs> I mean, if I'm you don't be sleeping. Right, but y'all get all these random facts that I be finding at 2 a.m. when a bitch can't sleep and she's <laughs> on JSTOR reading somebody's white paper. So <laughs> do with your lives, you learn shit from my insomnia. And on that note, I'm gonna cut Brit off before she has showed me and shade me anymore on the mic. <laughs> on the movie trailer reviews. We out.